Jimmy. How are you? I'm all right, old sailor. How's life? <laughs> it's wet, Chippy. It's really wet. Oh, this is hardcore. Did you ever see the film Hard Rain with Randy Quaid and Christian Slater and Morgan Freeman? Like 98. <laughs> Was that a spit take? <laughs> it's the end. <laughs> And it's the last movie that was ever mentioned to me. <laughs> <laughs> if, if I that, died right now, would it. you rewatch it tonight? Would you rewatch it? I hope you would. No. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that at the cinema. I don't need to see it again. That's it. That's it forever. <laughs> I've got to, I'm going to keep it pure. Uh, no, not, not even <laughs> it being the immediate cause of your death. We'll be like, you know what I fancy tonight? No. No, I'm, like, I'm, I'm going to watch uh, Red Dawn instead. That's okay, the original. Uh, or so even at my funeral, life. they play it, Sheppy, and like, you know, maybe, maybe I get 30 people turn up. <laughs> and by the end of the movie, there's like, not even my I'll tell mom. you what, I'll, I'll show the trailer of Hard Rain at your funeral, and that will be okay. People will like the trailer, they'll get on board. They'll be like, I see what they were trying to do there. Graham Yost is on the right track, but um, no thanks. His uh, his chickens have come home to Yost, they would cork. So um, no, no hard room, just the trailer. Is he um, actually the I'm director, Sheppy Yost? Do you know that? No, he's the writer. Oh, okay. Nice. No, I'm forgetting who the director was. Someone, but not, you know, sub Rennie Harlem, that sort of thing. Graham Yost was hot off Broken Arrow, which he wrote, and also Speed, even though Joss Whedon did a heavy rewrite. But, but he, was, he was on a bit of a roll with the Oster machine. I'm not sure what happened to him after Hard Rain. I'm sure he's, I think he's still working. He wasn't ended by the mega flop that was Hard Rain. It, it came and went. It's a sort of like um, Mercury Rising, that late 90s, I think, again, 98, Bruce Willis vehicle. Alec yeah. Baldwin, really bad, really forgettable, proper bland, bland shit. <laughs> well, Bruno does that shit all question, the time. I've now. not seen Hard Range. I've not seen it. Oh, but don't, well, don't bother. You can watch the trailer from your coffin. Jimbo, let me tell you what I watched yesterday for the first time in about 20 years White Men Can't Jump. Oh, nice. I'll tell you this, uh, I'll tell you this, it holds up, it holds oh, right up. Yeah, nice. no, it's, yeah, it's, it's really good. And um, genuinely, I think, yeah, I think I'm gonna say it, four star, which oh. I think it always was, but I can tell you it still is four star. Yeah, it's really solid. Oh, that makes me happy to know. Yeah, good old Woody and Wesley, the yeah. dream team. <laughs> well, so the posters told us, yeah. I'll tell you this, um, I'm on a bit of a Wesley um, road at the moment because we watched Two Wong Fu, Thanks for Everything, Julie Newmar recently. Oh. And Wesley gets top billing in that, even though he doesn't deserve it. So easy all night long. But um, so now I just need to watch a third random Wesley Snipes, well. maybe Rising Sun. <laughs> Have you seen um, Dolomite Is My Name yet? Yes, yes. Oh, nice. Okay. He's good yeah, in that. Yeah. And I, I that, that was wonderful. That really enjoyed He was it. amazing in coming to America as well. Yeah. Um, he was fantastic. <laughs> Having so much fun. Best Being thing incredible. In it. Yeah. 
not a good yeah, movie, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. No, you know. Oh, speaking of what ifs, uh, um, they're doing a Shoulders of Giants and they're doing a sequel TV show to Quantum Leap. It's Ooh. 20, 30 years later in the future and they're restarting Project Quantum Leap to track down the elusive Sam Beckett who never returned. And so you know, you know, Bacula will make a, a, an appearance at some point, but about it, of course, it's about some new hot blood who like restarts the program and goes off and has, you know, and I don't know what they're going to do, if he's going to have a hologram or what, but it is all importantly a sequel show. It's a pure Shoulders of Giants wannabe. They're ripping us off by doing it. <laughs> I wonder if we should try and get in front of it, Sheffy, and try and do a little app. Quantum Leap, yeah. <laughs> that was a divisive ending. Well, not really. Everyone hated it. Um, <laughs> you were a big fan of the last episode of Quantum Leap, I'm assuming, John. I quite liked it, as you'd remember. I do. I, I quite yeah, liked I, it. But I used to I be such a soppy that. old sausage, you know. I used to like <laughs> that ending in a sort of... Because uh, he, he met God, didn't he, or something in the in the bar. Well, and it was, sort or, of. Sort of, yeah. The barman... Bruce McGill could have been God, but you know, it was heavily implied that it was God that he was leaping for. And you are told unequivocally that he never returns home. So you are a bit like Barker now. And without Al, because he's gone and found his true love again. So he has a very bleak future. It's a very dark ending in that sense, where you've been on a journey with this character and you're told that he never returns home. You never know what happens though. Maybe he ends up in a really nice place and he settles down and like you know has a second life being old. Maybe they'll find him in this new show being a proper Colonel Kurtz, Hermit in Time. That would be nice. Hermit in Time would be a good name for a show anyway. Um, Jimbo, if time is short, because I really could go on, but yeah, let's jump. Okay. Three, two, one, you're back in the room. Oh, that's horrible. What a horrible thing to say. That's little Britain, uh, isn't it? Is that right? I don't know. I don't remember. I don't know. I don't know. And like, if it's from a catchphrase for something, that makes it even worse. But you know what? It was a good <laughs> one. It's worth a tangent because it's important to remember. Do you remember the hypnotist dude? And like, he'd do stupid things and then he'd be like, look into my eyes, look into my eyes, not around the eyes, into my eyes. Boom, you're under. And then he'd just say, you didn't see me here. I'm not this, I'm not that. I did reverse into your car. I'm not, you know. <laughs> and then he'd be like, three, two, one, you're back in the room. And what was genius about that gag was obviously not just the manipulating people with the silliness, but the back in the room, even though he'd be like outside or like, you know, in the car. <laughs> I really like that. That makes me happy. But... You know what? That's great. And you know what else? I've never seen Little Britain. It was something that randomly oh. just totally passed me by. Um, and there was one time I was going to watch it. Something weird happened with the DVD and, and I just never watched it. So that's great. I was, of course, aware of it. But yeah. Your it's, impression, I assume that was that David David Walliams. It was actually Matt Lucas. Matt Lucas ah, is the is the yeah. hypnotist, yeah. George he's, Dawes. He's got a really big long ponytail, looks like a magician and just gets into scrapes and then gets out of them by hypnotizing people. Which is a brilliant well, in, idea, but you know what I mean. In a nice twist, I saw him on an episode, I guess it must have been Darren Brown, and he was oh. put under. Yeah. Oh, wow. I think yeah. And then nice. so there you go. It all goes in circles. Isn't that funny, Keith? What's if you find everything goes in circles. <laughs> oh yeah. 
I don't think it's watchable anymore, Sheppy, Little Britain. I don't think it's watchable. I, I think it, it, some of the gags will have aged so badly and also just catchphrase comedy just doesn't work, does it, after a while? Like, I think of... maybe it just was never for me in the first place, but we'll never know because I missed my window because I missed it when it initially came out and then everyone was suddenly quoting it. So instantly I wasn't interested because it was like, everyone was like, meh, 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 meh. And I was like, hmm, meh, oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> so it's almost the same with The Office because people were like, have you seen The Office? It's really good. And but people were saying like, it's got Ricky Gervais in it. And I was like, who? Because I didn't watch the 11 o'clock show. Uh, so, but then I got into it quickly, quick smart. So there you go. <laughs> so I'll tell you what, Jimbo. <laughs> so far, then, the tan it's it's a tangent tree, and I like it. <laughs> I like it very much indeed. Well, um, <laughs> let's set some roots down then on the podcast, Sheppy, on this tangent tree. So, uh, oh God, where am I? Hell, yes. Well, <laughs> we have to do the introduction, yeah, do the and intro. then we're off to the races. <laughs> Hello, welcome to Shoulders of Giants. I'm Jimmy. Hey there, I'm Sheppy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's all right, isn't it? It's friendly. Uh, it's very friendly, Sheppy. Welcoming. <laughs> I'd like to be your friend one day. Um... Well, that's just, now it's creepy and awkward. <laughs> Let's keep it professional. Oh my God. <laughs> um, the keep it is ridiculous in that sense. <laughs> um, the, uh, <laughs> just thought it would be quite fun to just explore the the subgenre or genre it's a genre in and of itself really isn't it I, spoof, yeah i think it is spoof if it's a subgenre then it's a sub comedy genre yes uh, yeah you're right and i actually also had a sub on the sub which i i want to say before we even like talk proper which was just was it a foot long oh my god um as i uh, as i was sort of reflecting on it shepherd i think there's kind of two types of spoofs in my mind, the way I categorise them, as I was starting to think about the ones we've known and loved over the years. I think you've got kind of like very specific spoofs of movies, like Hot Shots of Top Gun, Airplane of like Airport or whatever. And then you've got quite generalist spoofs of like, you know, Naked Gun of cop shows or This is Spinal Tap of like rockumentaries or whatever. Like, you know what I mean? And like, there's kind of ones that are trying to do everything, and then there's ones that are specifically like loaded weapon or whatever. Like, do you know what I mean? And really going yeah. for a move. Well, loaded weapon was obviously brutal weapon, but it did go into like Silence of the Lambs and Basic Instinct and yeah. things that were big in the early '90s. So it did cover, and also Hot Shots did have that whole flashback where it went into Superman and Rocky and really went off, and it wasn't. <laughs> 100% Top Gun. They did go off. Even Airplane has that whole Blue Lagoon bit. And Saturday Night Fever. Yeah. That, yes, all, yes. Yeah. Yes, exactly. It's actually, in fairness, Blue Lagoon is more apt for Top Secret, which is another ace one, which is, which is weird. It's like Second World War films meets Elvis films. It's a really strange mixture. But um, I want to mention... Top Secret is um, it's fantastic. Uh, it's really good. I love it. <laughs> I, I really love it. I watched the Val Kilmer doc recently with G and oh. I said to her, have you ever seen Top Secret? 
she was like, no, because I think they played a couple of clips. And she was like, what is this? And we were both chuckling away. So just played her the trailer. And even the trailer is a treat, Cheppy. On yes. YouTube. It gets the, gets the good, because it's so rubbish and like extended and giving you too much of the movie, you get a lot of the good gags. Yes. I feel that Top Secret people were sort of dismissive over for a while, but now people are coming back to it. Is, um, my, and I don't think it was a huge hit at the time. Um, made by the people who did Airplane previously, of course, and Naked Gun after. And also they did, of course, Police Squad, which was six episodes, I think, which was totally 100% Naked Gun. And they're cool, obviously. And Top Secret, you know what I think? It doesn't have, like, the last joke in Top Secret is like a, ha, you know, it's not a, it's not a massive gang-busting crowd-pleaser like at the end of Airplane when the plane retakes off with the inflatable auto guy, um, or at the end of uh, Naked Gun when Nordberg does the flip uh, off the balcony. Yeah. Uh, it, it ends on a massive burst, whereas the, the last joke in Top Secret drops the ball. And I think, and it's not, a, it's, it's just like, ah, but it doesn't deserve to be the last, it shouldn't be the last, it needs a big last joke. What What is um, it again, Shepi? Do you remember it? Yeah, yeah, end. it's, um, she's saying goodbye to everyone, and then the last person in the line is uh, like a scarecrow man, and goes, and I'll miss you most of all, scarecrow, and just as a <laughs> random wizard of Oz. Yeah, it's nice, but then she gets in the plane, takes off, and it's the end, and it's like, well, it's a, it's a, ha, but it's not like a big, big, it needs, it needs like a big, uh, like gang busting ending. That's like a, a nice mid joke joke. Yeah. You know, Top Secret has like a really good joke every 30 seconds. Um, and, and about three absolute stone cold classic scenes, like set pieces, including the amazing backwards scene, which is all one shot. Um, and they filmed oh, yeah. it as pure David Lynchy. They filmed it backwards and then did it forwards and things are flying off shelves. And it's amazing. And it's all one shot. Unbelievable, Peter Cushing. So, yeah, Top Secret's great. And it's got the underwater cowboy fight. It's nuts. Yeah. Um, I really so, yeah, want to watch that, actually. I'm going to do it. Yeah, yeah. it's that's, good. It's really good. That's made me very excited, Shep. Is that your favourite one of all time, then? Well, no, no. Um, no, my favourite, it's very boring to say, but I think it's actually it. Because yeah. I, you know, I saw that like a year ago, or maybe maybe even two two years ago now. But yeah, um, it's it's great. It's really good, and I I really love Police Squad. It's because I saw the first Naked Gun first, so it is always slightly weird. Even though I feel really sorry for Alan North being replaced by John uh, George Kennedy, um, and that guy being replaced by uh, O.J. Simpson as Nordberg, but. I really like the show, but I, but of course I love Naked Gun, and they're sort of different because of course one's a bit more, a lot more glossy. But the first Naked Gun, especially, and I like all of them. They do go slightly, you know, it's one, two, and then a bit of a drop of three. Two is really, really good, and I know people who, who two is their favourite, and that's fair enough, totally. I mean, I, um, we watched that in the cinema, you and I, two and a half, and I loved it. Yeah. And I remember it being one of my happiest cinema. Like, I, I just remember that being probably the biggest I've laughed in the cinema and ever. <laughs> like, it's amazingly funny. I think the only thing that's ever compared to that, and it's not a spoof, so I just touch on it, but like in between his movie, 
when they're in the club and they dance over to the girls. I just remember because the place was rocking like with yeah. it, like that scene, yeah. it was a lovely moment. But two and that's a half nice. did that for the whole movie. Like, do you know what I mean? It was yeah. amazing. Like, you know. Well, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it you need like a good joke every 10 seconds and you need a really good joke every minute and then you need a re- like at least three excellent set pieces and about every five minutes you need an absolute gut-busting amazing joke and <laughs> a lot of films of course but you know for that type of film visual and you get like a really good joke like every 10 seconds and you, it's just like it's incredible like really throw away things like we saw Nicky Gunn so many times before you noticed the snot from the lady when she's hugging Frank, uh, Nordberg's <laughs> wife, and there's this big trail of snot, and it's so subtle. And even now, I can watch the film, and then that scene ends. And I'm like, fuck, I missed it. It's like it's elusive, but it's there, Jimmy. It's there, and you open my eyes to the snot. So yeah, so Naked Gun is great, and I love it. And two is very good, and three is is great. You know, it's fine. It's not as good, but it's. I need to rewatch the movies because I think whenever yeah. I think of Drebin, I, I'm always going to like police squad moments, weirdly. Like, I just need to get back to the movies, but I just always think of him opening a drawer in someone's house that he's just infiltrated and going, <laughs> bingo. And then it's a bingo card or whatever, like, you know. Or... And, the, and the, the music is so good at punctuating the joke. It's like, bum, bum, bingo, bum. <laughs> it's, it's, it's good stuff. It's very, very good. Yes, it's a it's it's a wonderful, wonderful film. They and and good old Nielsen. We should mention um, Airplane Two is also very good, made not by the Zuckers, and it's not as good as one, but it is good, and it does have at least one stone cold classic joke with the William Sh- with William Sh- with the William Shatner in the in the screen, and then it's the door. That's yeah. amazing. It is a good game. And Shatner is very good at playing. You know, it's only a tiny, tiny nudge from him playing Kirk to him playing comedic genius. And so when he <laughs> does deliberately throw that switch, not throw that switch, just, just ease that switch, just a whisker, like in that one, a really temperamental shower. And then he goes comedic and he does it quite a lot. Uh, you know, and in Airplane 2, it's really well showcased. The good old Shat, he's, he's okay. great in that. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so two is all right. But what's your favourite of these? It's tough, man. I put down, like, there's this, so, this various kings of this stuff, right? So we've touched on Nielsen. I think we should touch we on Mel Brooks heavily on the Zuckers. Yeah, well, the I was Zuckers, going yeah. to, I, yes, when I said what's your favourite of these, I did mean, so the Zuckers. Oh, the Zucker that, ones, I think. Yeah. I'm going to be a bit... Did they do Hot Shots? It was them too, wasn't it? No, it wasn't, was it? I don't know. Actually. It was Jim Abrams, wasn't it? Oh, um, yeah, you're right, is, yeah. And he was connected. It's So, uh, yeah, so it's for Zucker Brothers, but it is also Jim Abrams doing the first airplane for sure. So it's one of the airplane team, but not the Zuckers, I think. I think Airplane's the best, right? I think it is the best. But I do, I've got to say, I've got a really soft spot for Hot Shots. I think it's spectacular. We saw that at the cinema together. (laughs) And I think it's great. I really do. I think it's another one where the gag rate is really good. She's brilliant. And like, you know, even just, I have my father's eyes. 
Topper put them away. <laughs> Just yes. little eyeballs in a case. It's amazing, yeah. you know, amazing. So I, I just I think... need to see that again. And Hot Shots Part Deux, I've, I think I've only seen once, and that's Rambo, essentially. Yeah, amazing. I've, I've only seen that once too. Yeah, nice man. That I mean, know yeah, there's, there's a scene this... where they go past each other, Sheen, Junior, and Senior, Martin, yeah, and Charlie, amazing. past each other on boats in Midnight Now. They loved you in Wall Street. So, <laughs> you know. It might be worth just revisiting it just for those. And Loaded Weapon is um, National Lampoon. It's not Zuckers or anyone associated, but it's very much of that ilk. And I seem to remember Loaded Weapon being, you know, okay. And when it came to, like, Dead and Loving It, Dracula Dead and Loving It, and a few of those other ones, yeah. and Nielsen's later years, like, that's not the Zucker guys, is it? Yes, by no, it's hard. Not. Yeah. Dracula Dead and Loving It was actually Mel Brooks, and I've never seen it, but he doesn't have like a, you know, a gold standard Mel Brooks. And Spy Hard, I haven't seen. And this one you just said, um, there was another one, but yes, yeah. that one wasn't very good either. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the third one that probably was, I don't think it was said actually, um, but he did do others. So yeah, I know I didn't see any of those, but that's the thing actually, and it's been said by other people as well. Nielsen started mugging, and he does do it in the first Naked Gun, in fairness. Not all the time, but he does start to mug and gurn, and then it does progressively get more and more. So, into the 90s, those ones that we're mentioning and other ones that we've forgotten, he is apparently mugging more. So, I'm not really that interested. Whereas when he's playing it exactly straight, as he did in like the Poseidon Adventure and Columbo. He's badass in Columbo. He's not even the guy who gets you know, he is the guy who gets killed, but he also kills someone else. It's hardcore. It's killed by Patrick McGoo, if fair enough. Wow. But yeah, so him in police squad and airplane is pretty untouchable in terms of the pure deadpan, which is funnier to me. Yeah, absolutely. I can't let us park Nielsen for a moment without just touching on the most incredible gag where he's undercover as a locksmith and he breaks into one of the bad guys' apartments and the bad guy says, how'd you, who are you and how'd you get in here? And he just gives it the, I'm a locksmith and I'm a locksmith. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, well, there you go. So that show alone is absolutely amazing. It has the advantages of being six episodes. One of them has a Shatner cameo, so there you go. It's all connected. But what a hero. Yeah. So did we establish, I'm sorry, did you say what your favorite was out of that ilk? Of that ilk airplane as well, Shippy. I'm with you. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, double fair. So then you mentioned Blazing Saddles, and this is where we tread a line. And there might be a spoiler to my pitch coming up, but um, yeah, Blazing Saddles is like, well, look, we talking of Mel Brooks. There is, of course, Space Force, and that's like the ultimate Star Wars spoof. And it hasn't been done that many times, certainly in mainstream, because I think Melbourne just did it. And, you know, um, and we can talk about that in a second. But in terms of Blazing Saddles, yeah, it's a spoof, but it's almost, it, it, it's, it's a genuine Western. It's like, it is, it, you know, and then we come to like Three Amigos, just by way of comparison. Is that a spoof Western? I don't think Three Amigos is. I think that's a comedy Western. Is Blazing Saddles a spoof or is it just a, a straight up comedy Western? Yeah. 
and it's like it's because I guess when it's a spoof it's when it's fundamentally holding up a mirror and laughing at you hopefully in an affectionate way because the humor's better if it's malicious like scary movie seems to be malicious and so it's never really appealed to me whereas this yeah it works and just of course all of the late 90s early 2000s inspired by scary movie all of those I haven't seen and maybe some of them are good but like this none of them have ever appealed to me and they seem very broad like one of them is actually like doing a boat for Pedro Napoleon Dynamite bit it's like that doesn't belong in a spoof Napoleon Dynamite is not to be mocked because it's its own thing it's it's, yeah. it's not getting the joke if you're if you're saying you know Napoleon Dynamite joke it's like you're not that's embarrassing so anyway that's a quick quick the, the genre stuff. itself is basically a dead duck at the moment Sheppy isn't it really it's us because to of revitalize those films, it today. I think. yeah <laughs> so Blazing Saddles if it is a spoof then it's my favorite spoof because it's also one of my favorite westerns and I love a lot of westerns very much so you know now you know it better than me right but there's a scene where Gene Wilder is in the prison cell which I feel it can only be referencing other Westerns where someone's in an inescapable sort of situation like that and then manages to do something ridiculous. You could Maybe. say it's a spoof. There's an argument in that it's a spoof because it goes, it breaks its own fourth wall and that it gets postmodern, but also it's heightened, heightened reality. Like it has cartoonish elements to the reality. You know, it's really extreme, you know, it's not realistic humor let's put it that way yeah. you know so in with that in mind does that count as a spoof when it sort of break bends reality or creates its own rea reality to that extent but i don't know i don't know that one's a tough one but if it's a spoof then great but then yeah, that's my fave. um but then you've got say robin hood men in tights which is really just referencing prince of thieves mainly with a little bit of Harold Flynn, but not as much as you would think. Yeah. Um, and it's like, it's a, it's a little bit, I've only seen it once, and, and it's, it seemed at the time a little bit not one note. Spaceballs, we have a history with Jimbo. We oh, yeah. used to love it. Oh, yeah. Um, what, what's your, what are your thoughts on Spaceballs these days? What, what I, I've only, ever, I only had this thought just now, as you mentioned it uh, before, Sheppy, but one thing I respect about it is this idea where Hot Shots goes off and does a bit of Superman and Rocky and, you know, and you start referencing other movies. I do respect that from memory, I might be getting this wrong, but from memory, Spaceballs is pretty tightly only referencing space movies. So you get an alien reference with John Hurt yes. in the bar and everything, <laughs> but like... It's pretty, like, I actually quite like the fact that they're just going for the space movies and they don't then kind of just throw in whatever else is topical at the time. No, so. well, yeah, they do uh, Planet of the Apes and, and you know, of course, yeah. mainly Star Wars, but they, they have other things, but you're right, it's, you know, they don't throw in, like, a, a cop joke. And it, yeah. and it gets surreal and they look at it on video and everything. In fact, never play this again. Do you think it's a good film? I mean, I'll say this. We used to love it. I saw it about 15 years ago and I liked it, but I was aware that it's like, you know, it's not highest caliber in the universe. Yeah. Then I saw it again 
I think it was just after we had watched like all the Star Warses when number nine came out of the cinema. And then just as, you know, and now we watch Spaceballs and Goodnight, basically. Um, so I saw it a few years ago and I like it. But, you know, it, yeah, it's, you know, it's, it is what it is. Pizza uh, the Heart, I mean, that's amazing. <laughs> it's one of those things where when we were kids, we loved it. We loved our raspberry, only one person oh, dares jam the radar oh, with raspberry. God. Um, and oh, then, amazing. then with all of that, and then I guess as kids, we loved it. I feel like it wasn't as well received because he was churning out five-star classics like your young Frankensteins and your yeah. saddles and that. And then I feel that you pit, start pitching a Spaceballs against a scary movie and it's still, it's several leagues above still. So oh, I feel yes. like it's like, yeah. it's probably due a reappraisal, isn't it? I if it wasn't Mel Brooks, maybe if it was some random dude, it'd be like, okay, that's fun. But you're up, up you know, yes, Young Frankenstein, that we can say is a spoof, I guess, because mm -hmm. that directly references and so forth. Um, and of course, Blazing Saddles and, and other things, of course, but those two specifically for me and the producers, but really those two that we keep mentioning the most easily for me would work. And then Space Wars is, yeah, a special nostalgic place in my heart. And it is, it does, yeah, it does hold up. It's it's good enough, as Cindy yeah. Law would tell us. So, <laughs> so yeah, hooray, huzzah for Spaceballs, huzzah. Any any other thoughts about Spaceballs, or shall we? Not move? really, Sheppy, no, no. I've got a couple of other ones I want to just drop, sprinkle in there yes. for reference, but yeah. Go, go, go. Well, go I just, I thought it was worth it. <laughs> Funny you should say that, because it's not that, but it's sort of, it's in that sort of kind of uh, sub -genre Like Team America, Sheppy, where does that sit uh, for you as a sort of a... I still put that as a spoof, even though it's its own thing. I think it's still going for... When it's referencing something, a specific genre or trope to that extent, then yeah. I guess by definition it does become a spoof. Uh, yeah. So, but, you know, a satire, when does a satire come become a spoof? Oh, things can get deep there. A little bit of politics. <laughs> so, you know, are we in a satire now? Are we in a spoof? So in either way, um, yeah, Team America is a spoof and it's amazing. So in that regard, that's right up there for me as well. That's an amazing film. Uh, so yes, good, good call, uh, They should do more yeah, of those Parker in. boys, shouldn't they? I mean, they're they're was... doing pretty well. They're doing all right, aren't they, with their Mormons they're, 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 South they're, Park, yeah. They? yeah, they're, they're, doing, they're, they're working very hard. <laughs> so I think, I think they're doing all right. <laughs> yeah, the Jesus. socks are already at their knees, for God's sake. <laughs> it yeah. go any higher. <laughs> Let's just... Give <laughs> them a yes. break. Cut up some slack. <laughs> um, so, were there any other... Oh, well, I will say, in terms of... You would think that you can't really spoof a comedy. You can spoof tropes. And I would say that I saw a film with Amy Poehler and Paul Rudd um, called They Came Together. And it's a spoof of comedy films, if you can do such a thing. But it's because it heavily, heavily spoofs and pay, you know, draws attention to the tropes of this type of romantic comedy, the best friend, the brother, the millions. And so they do it in funny ways. And so it's, it's great. So I recommend nice. that. Was, yeah, that yeah, they came together. Yes, it's made by the same team who made Wet Hot American Summer, which I never saw. Now maybe I should. 
and it was it was with the whole same cast before Rudd and Boyer, you know, were mega. So, yeah, so that's, that's really nice. Bizarre for that. Um, I know where I'm going to you know, kick myself. Yes, go on. Yeah, I was going to say, where does Spinal Tap sit for you, Sheppy? Ah, I love Spinal Tap. Yeah. Of course, uh, it is amazing. It is something that I I watched for the first time. I think at uni, so a little bit. You know, so I didn't see it like proper early or anything. I yeah, I love it. And yes, of course, it is a spoof since it's so self-referential. If you're following that guideline, you know, mockumentary. Um, comedy documentary, fake documentary, whatever, because I know people involved don't like it. You know, Christopher Guest hates the term mockumentary, but <laughs> it is a mockumentary. So, um, yeah, no, it's fantastic. And yes, that would be gold standard right up. What's it? I agree. I think it's a six out of five almost on, on oh, the level. I think it's in I that space, it. in that I real. Uh, an airplane probably is too. So that's probably two of the top three, and I couldn't give you the third today. You know what I mean? But I think yeah. I feel like they're right up there. But what's what I love about Spinal Tap is to your point as well. Like, comes out and it's probably intended as a spoof at the beginning, and 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 is as we say. But it 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 just has its own thing about it, doesn't it? Now it's just it's its own bubble of thing. Now everyone tries to do it, and you know I just. Yeah. I think it's quite an extraordinary achievement, that movie. It's so funny. Jesus Christ, Shelley. I actually, I I wanted to get this right, and I just saw, actually, it's the only one I Googled, because I just wanted to to just shout out a bit that doesn't always get the credit, because, of course, my love pump and goes up to 11, all that stuff, yeah, it's it's brilliant. But there's a moment that when I last watched it made me absolutely wet myself almost. It was so funny, and it's just the band checking into a hotel (laughs) <laughs> but instead of seven suites, the group was booked on the seventh floor with one suite. <laughs> and it's just the moment when they realise that. <laughs> and they're trying to be all that. It's just really, really, really tickled me in a way I was not expecting. I'd totally forgotten it. So I just wanted to give a shout out to a quiet little moment <laughs> with Spinal Tap that I happen to love. So, that's um, nice. That's yeah. lovely. Lovely, Jimmy. But, uh, that's great. Um, for everyone out there screaming at um, spoofs that we haven't mentioned, do apologise. I'm sure I'll think of something which is an annoying mishap, but never mind. I think that's that's all okay, Jimmy. Was oh, there any other good. point, you know, or anything at all you wanted to mention? I'm pretty good, Sheps. I'm pretty good. It's an intimidating one to tackle in the end. And we exchanged a couple of little messages, didn't we? Because it's been like the curb one, isn't it? How far do you go down the line of trying to come up with funny gags, which are just going to possibly land flat on a podcast. But we'll just see how it goes. Very tricky, Sheppy. It was a bit more intimidating than I realised, to be honest. But, um... Well, I've, I will say, I, I saw, well, look, I did, I've got two things to say before we jump full on into the pitch. The first one is I did kind of cheat immediately. Um, so I'll say in terms of mine, it is a spoof. Absolutely. And if you push the humour in a certain way, um, it could full on be a spoof, but it could also be like um, a comedy variation on this genre that I'm that I'm aping. So it could be like a Three Amigos, for example. So that's the first thing. And the second thing, I try not to get too specific on like individual lines because it needs to be a good spoof. Like we say, it needs a funny line every eight seconds. So, So there's that. 
also, I just sort of, in terms of very general, vague ideas, spoofs that could be done, you know, uh, and, and I settled on mine pretty quickly. But I just have, you know, I asked my brother if he could think of any like spoof genres that hadn't happened or any genres that hadn't been spoofed or any good ones that could happen. Um, and nothing really, uh, you know, like everything really has been done, especially in that slew in the, that we mentioned the late 90s, early 2000s, after the huge success of the scary movies, there were loads, it was just in everything. Um, but he did mention like, you know, you could do sort of like a, like a fake, you know, mock you, uh, one vaguely, like I'm massively paraphrasing, but you've got like a Tom Cruise type mega celebrity and it's basically Scientology and it's, it's following this, but he's a massive influencer online and he's a massive <laughs> like, you know, following it and cancelling and cancel culture and da, 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 and it's that to this massive degree. And again, and then my take is the natural conclusion is in, in a Bretty Savellis sort of way, it gets elevated and he eventually becomes this new kind of messiah who may or may not get crucified at the end in some capacity or not, <laughs> depending on where that story goes. So that's one thing. And it's been done. That like, could be a brilliant. I mean, this is sport for that for a future one, possibly, or, or it might be in the past, depending on when we shuffle these, but a great yin to your Forrest Gump's yang, maybe. Oh, nice. Go dark. Yeah. <laughs> dark neon Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Well, that's, yes. Yeah, yeah I, I love it. Were there any random, I mean, just in terms of other things, I, I want to shout out, I'm glad I remembered to mention uh, Murder by Death which is the sort of spoof of Agatha Christie who done it type things. And also Great Clue, title. which is, yeah, Murder by Death, I think it's from Simon. And it's, um, yeah, it's got like Peter Sellers and David Niven and Maggie Smith and um, Truman Capote, randomly. Amazing. And, uh, and other, oh, and Peter Falk and other people. It's great. And it's got like a Sam Spade, that's obviously Falk, Sam Spade type. There's like a uh, like a, a Nick and Nora type, and that's Niven and Maggie Smith, and you've got like a um, who's the very very racial racist um, Chinese character, not Fu Manchu because that's the baddie, but he was like someone who solved crimes. Oh, anyway, yeah. Peter Sellers plays that, you know, which now is very inappropriate, even though he's mocking that because oh, he is God. himself doing a star type thing. So. And there's other, and it's, you know, but it is, it's good. It's solid. It's a solid, and that's like late 70s. So I wanted to shout oh, that one out. As well. And Clue that's as well, because I interrupted you when yeah. you said Clue. So what was, what did you want to say about that? Because I, I don't know that I've seen it, Clue. I've seen it definitely once. Um, and it's got famously like three endings, you know, and three different murderers. And it's very much, in America, the board game Cluedo is called Clue. Um, and so it's Clue, but in England it should, the film should be called Cluedo, because it's, you know, Christopher Lloyd is Professor Plum and shit. I mean, Tim Curry being absolutely amazing. So yeah, the good old Clue, it's very good. They keep, they, they keep trying to make a, do a remake. And I'm like, yeah, sure, okay, with Ryan Reynolds. I'm like, yeah, okay. But I like You're the, right. you know, the, I don't know, um, Clue technically, I don't know, it might be a spoof, but what's it it's spoofing a one trope but it's got sort of the agatha christie thing yeah but but only on a very broad because it's cluedo it really is so it's that and that in it of course was inspired by agatha christie in terms of the template but it's very very strict to that cluedo template that house those rules 
those rooms, those characters. And, but within that, then it has humor because the characters are given life with writing and that. It's very fast, very snappy. I remember that. Cool. Yeah, but I haven't seen it for a while. It's got the guy who played one. the Babala in an episode of The Incredible Hulk. Go on. You want to ask me that one? <laughs> I just want to ask you because I, I before I set about mine, I googled whether there'd been a gangster um, mm. spoof out there because that was going to be a genre I tackled. And then I, I saw they had uh, Johnny. Dan I mean, you could say Bugsy Malone is a spoof in some ways, but um, mm. but the Johnny Dangerously. Have you ever seen that with Michael Keaton? Apparently, oh. it's brilliant, and I, it's from the eighties when he's in his pomp. So I'm quite interested. Yeah, in that. is it? <laughs> Yeah, no, okay. No, I haven't seen Johnny Dangerously, but yeah, Keaton in his bomb. That sounds fantastic. It'd be fun. Yeah. Um, I'll mention um, Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid oh, yeah, is nice. a spoof, and that's within a coal liner, though, and of course, Steve Martin. You, now, then you start getting into territory like it's the man with two brains a spoof. No, not really. I don't think it is. I think it's your three amigos, Matt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, yeah. and it's not even, yeah, it's, yeah, three amigos. There could be an argument because Three Amigos had that weird bit right in the middle where it gets really surreal and they're singing tur turtles and things. And it's not surreal for the rest of the film. Tightened My Little Buttercup, but that one like, extended it with the invisible swordsman and the singing bush, and then them singing and the horses going bum, 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 and they're eating bat. <laughs> it's like this, it's like I've got a 20 minute bubble of surrealist humor in the middle of Three Amigos and everyone always forgets about it. Then it goes back to basically being like a Western and Landis having a great time making a funny Western. Gotta make it, gotta make it. Oh God, God I love that. So, you, so much. You <laughs> but yeah, no, it's heavily, if it's a spoof, it's a spoof of like, you know, um, The Magnificent Seven, basically. But it's yeah. got a great plot. And like I say, my thing is has strong elements of three amigos. But anyway, sorry. Nice Sheppy. Fuck that. I'll talk about that later. Funny Tell enough, me about a... your life. <laughs> well look, I'm gonna start on my pitch. I'm gonna do my pitch. And I, I lied to you, Sheppy. I said to you that I didn't have anything in the clip. Now look, technically speaking, I didn't, but I did have something I did want to crowbar in there. So you're gonna get two pitches from me in a second one of them is very quick but i just have to like for the record put it on the pod because it's something that's been rattling around in my brain for over 20 years so i'm going to just wow. give that to you it's going to take about three minutes in a minute i'm honored and then the second one is like you know i say proper pitch it's an idea there's some thoughts and a couple of gags that's it basically so um i love I, it well, look, I might have told you about this before, Sheppy. It, it, I'm sure I will have told you about this before, but I just, as I say, I just want it for the record in our canon of silliness. So I have been thinking about this since I was in a sales team. I used to, I, I mean, not that it really matters, but I used to work at News International for Mr. Murdoch back in the uh, very early 2000s and was a sales executive on a sales team. And we always used to like have lots of jokes about like pitching and just kind of, you know, uh, we, we basically were selling advertising space in the Sunday Times and Times newspapers. And we'd be trying, people would be selling their cars or what have you. And we'd try and get them to like take an extra 
line here or there in their advert or like go in the Saturday paper as well and do that as a joint rate, all that sort of stuff in terms of upsell. So, but we- I, I see you 100% naturally as, as Leo <laughs> in Wolf of Wall Street, 100% yeah. braces, hair slicked back. As soon as you started telling this story, my whole vision went blah, 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 wavy, wavy, flashback, flashback. And now I see you proper Gordon geckoing it up. Yeah, with the, the, you know, the hair and everything. We're like, thanks, babe. Yeah, <laughs> right. Sorry. Yes, go on. Working for the working for Murdoch. Yeah, <laughs> absolute legend. Oh god. Go on, then. But, but yeah. So the anyway, I figured this is ridiculous. It would never happen, Chevy, because it's a spoof on top of a spoof on top of a spoof. But it's a movie that I've had rattling around called Top pitch okay with the capital p for the pitch and the idea is that you're basically following almost the exact beats of top gun to a sales <laughs> narrative okay so it's a sales team in let's just say the 90s or whatever um first scene would be something like a cougar equivalent freezing mid-pitch headset on not able to complete the pitch and then your maverick style character coming in and closing the deal you know what i mean and just uh and then you'd have your your Strickland type, I'm forgetting his name in Maverick, but you know, your bald Strickland type. Strickland. Thing. Call him Strickland. <laughs> Call him Strickland. He will always be Strickland. Uh, and he gives it the, you know, you two characters are going to be sent to the best of the best sales schools, top pitch, you know, I can't believe what I'm doing here, all that sort of stuff. And anyway, so then we have the top pitch school. We have a moment in a bar where he meets your Maverick, meets your Kelly McGillis equivalent. I thought it would be really silly and funny to have her say, you know, who are you? And him to say, I'm 6856. And then Kelly McGillis would be like, your mother didn't like you or something? And he'd just be like, it's my extension number. <laughs> See how he gives it the maverick, my call sign, instead it's my extension number. <laughs> anyway, um, and then you, you know, um, there'd be one moment where they're doing a pitch uh, role play and, um, and Maverick, because he's such a Maverick salesman, goes below the threshold for discount that you're allowed to discount on a joint rate, you know, and, <laughs> and thinks he's going to jail, but below joint rate doesn't count and all this sort of stuff. <laughs> and I thought, I mean, this is a really ridiculous thing, but we used to joke about doing it, you know, you'd have an old lady ring up to sell her lawnmower, and, and there's such a big upsell, it suddenly appears on Piccadilly Circus on the side of the screen, <laughs> instead of just in the newspaper. And then I figured there'd be a, a goose equivalent best buddy who um, at one point is doing another role play as part of top pitch, getting cocky on the call. And um, he's got his headset on, starts twisting around because he thinks he's made the sale and actually starts choking himself with the, the cord of the, oh. <laughs> the headset. And Maverick can't get in there in time to save him. And uh, of course, it's tragic. a very deeply sad, tragic scene. And, and the goose equivalent's you know, wife says, God, he loved pitching with you, Maverick. You know, and all that sort of stuff. And I figured just the final insult would be, you know, um, Maverick throwing Goose's cufflinks into the Thames <laughs> using cufflinks <laughs> dog tags. But uh, anyway, that's that's top pitch. That's amazing. With the best I can, I can it, see Debbie. it. <laughs> like, how did you carry the two? Well, it was inverted. Bullshit. Uh, amazing <laughs> i would watch the hell out of that jimmy I, that's yeah no but i do remember you saying about this before uh the, 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 the same the script same it script works. as top gun you went down 
over the Indian Ocean. <laughs> All right. Yeah, so not much thought has got into the next one, Sheppy. Almost appropriately, this is going to be terrible, but I do think I've spotted an opportunity to take the mickey out of, if not a genre, a specific, well, bless him, a specific director, to be honest, um, who I love. So this would be, I'd like it to be Celebration, I've only really had time to do the um, the hard stuff that would come across as a bit bruising and nasty and mean spirited, but you know, never mind. Let's just see how you go with it. But this Chevy <laughs> is called um, Inter. I can't even get my own title right. Interprojectionation. 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 That's it. Interprojectionation. Two thousand. It's like me in existence, but I couldn't <laughs> pronounce existence. Like, I just couldn't do it. Existence. What a, an idiot. It's hard. Um, these, these I know, I know. I was in the wrong thing. Yours is awkward because you wrote it. But so... <laughs> uh, yeah, we've got Interprojectionation 2022. Nice. Jerry Zucker, he's back. And um, we've got, um, I'll, I'll give you the full cast in a minute, but the main character is Will Forte. He's playing a guy called Bill Pillow pronounced pillow but spelt pillow um <laughs> one of his taglines that he says a couple of times is uh you make whenever he gets his surname taking the mickey off he's like pillow come on you mean pillow like that you know as, as they do typically he's and will forte is able to say in those moments you may find it difficult to take the medicine i'm about to dish out pillow <laughs> anyway um so will forte is um, terrible at dream infiltration he's part of a dream infiltration team and, uh, and he's terrible at it. And the basic plot is he's busted down to daydreams by his boss, Lawrence Fishburne. Okay, so that's it. We're taking the mickey out of Inception and all things uh, Christopher Nolan and deeply po-faced, serious, sort of ridiculous sci-fi sci babble, basically, Sheppy. So that's, that's, that's amazing. So we've got <laughs> Interprojectionation, Will Forte's Bill Pillow. Uh, <laughs> as Agent Z, which is the highest accolade you can bestow in the dream team, obviously. Um, and then Penelope Cruz as Agent Dormir, <laughs> which is obviously Spanish for sleep. Um, so we open, uh, opening scene of this is, uh, it's just gonna be like a boom, like very serious, like a, it might go into projectionation, like white on black, and then boom, you know, like we're really in, you know, this is a big epic IMAX. Full thing, Zimmer. You know? Yeah. <laughs> um, so the opening scene, deserted cowboy village, and Will Forte is riding his horse into town. He looks the part as a proper grizzled cowboy, clothes, everything. He enters a saloon. A bartender, Penelope Cruz, is serving people drinks around the place, and she nods at Forte as he walks in. Pilau, I'm trying to remember to call him, as he walks in. And um, she seems to be in on the crew and the ruse too, if you like, you know, if we assume we're in an Inception style dream infiltration situation. Um, so she nods to a Mark uh, individual in the corner playing cards as she's delivering her drinks. And that Mark is a cameo from Ian McShane, rekindling a bit of Deadwood and playing a, an old cowboy. Yes. So Forte walks over to this, uh, this game of cards and cruises then. Um, delivering a couple of drinks to people on that specific table and uh and forte just asks what's the game gentlemen and uh mcshane says poker 
Forte looks a bit confused, pokes Cruz, <laughs> the waitress, and says, what's the game? <laughs> and Michelle laughs. I like your style, cowboy. Deal him in. <laughs> so that gets him at the table. And so that's the only one of those type of, like, you know, striker-type gags that I've thrown in there, Sheffy. But assume <laughs> stupid airplane gags like that with poker. Um, so he yes. deals him in. Um, they play a game of poker, and it gets to the point where all the other players are out, and it's... Um, uh, Pilau versus McShane, Forte versus McShane, all or nothing. And Forte says to McShane, I'm not playing for the money on the table. If I want, if I win, I want you to give all your money to charity, specifically. And he's about to drop the egg or whatever it is they're trying to influence McShane with. And a cowboy runs into the saloon and says, Fellas, look at this, look outside. And basically, um, the horse that Pilau has come to the saloon in has actually become a unicorn. And uh, <laughs> Pilau stands up and he's actually lost his trousers and he's just wearing these ridiculous, maybe Stars and Stripes boxer shorts. The room starts to really shake. Penelope Cruz runs out from behind the bar. She's actually just wearing lingerie. And she says, get a handle on yourself, Pilau. You're the anchor. And McShane starts to smell a rat and um, starts to realise he must be dreaming or something. The camera zooms into McShane's eyes. He blinks. We see his eyes open again. Camera pulls out. McShane is on a commercial flight, aeroplane flight, um, sitting in economy. He's in the middle seat. <laughs> He's got a tube strapped to his arm. Cruz is asleep, sort of just waking up on one side of him, pulling out her own bits and bobs, you know, from the, the dream contraptions. And Forte is still snoring on the other side with his eye mask still on and a bit of drool on McShane's uh, <laughs> shoulder. And um, passengers are all around them. And as uh, Forte kind of wakes up with a start, um, and an air stewardess is pointing a gun at them um, and says, we thought it was a bomb that you guys had brought in. And McShane is obviously disgusted that he's been manipulated and whatever. And he just says to Forte, how did you get all this equipment in here in the first place? And Forte just says, a lot of lubrication. So that's it. Basically. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> and then we have uh, Agent Z. Fishburn absolutely furious. <laughs> this is the final straw. Do you know how long it takes to save up air miles to give you another chance, Pillow? My God. And so basically, you know, of course, Pillow's blown another dream mission, gets busted down to daydreams instead of real dreams, um, where he has to influence people on what they're going to do for the weekend, have lunch, lots of really boring stuff instead of like, you know, big oligarchs or whatever that he's trying to influence. Um, and of course, you know, the overarching plot is for Fishburne to deflect as much attention away so he can then get away with manipulating dreams for his own purposes. He's the big bad at the very top of the power chain and trying to manipulate people for nefarious gain. Um, and um, so a couple of little bits and bobs I've got that should happen as part of this, Sheppy. Um, you know, of course, Pilau stays uh, connected to Cruz, his only friend, um, even though she's still on the dream team. We get a flashback to when uh, Pilau and Cruz and his late girlfriend, a cameo from Kirsten Wig, um, all trained together as part of the dream team. And in that flashback, we also see Fishburne training them in the art of dream manipulation. It's kind of Matrix style. Maybe we're doing a crossover as well, a bit stupidly, like, you know, doing, doing a bit of Matrix um, shenanigans. But essentially, Fishburne says, remember, in sleep, you can do anything you want. And uh, Forte's like, uh, he's telling them this on, on the top of a rooftop, uh, Fishburne. And uh, Forte's like, I think I can fly. 
and he throws himself off the top of the building <laughs> and you see this crash like that and there and Fishbird looks over the top and Forte just lying there on a balcony below with loads of flower pots and stuff around him. And Fishbird just says, Are you asleep? And Forte says, No, sir. And, like, and we just see Forte keep getting it wrong. Like, you know, he keeps forgetting he's not asleep and trying to do stupid things. Anyway, the flashback continues. And we see, you know, um, actually Kirsten Wig, his girlfriend, suffered from narcolepsy and is falling asleep at lots of inappropriate moments and actually drowned in a freak waterbed accident when she fell asleep at the wrong time. And anyway, just stupidity. Um, and then there's a moment where somebody else, I, I guess a fourth person who I haven't cast or anything, just asks Forte, you know, how do you know if you're awake or not? And Forte just says, I have a spinning top that I use. And instead of it being the nice subtle one that Leo has in Inception, it's one of those ridiculous kiddie ones <laughs> where you have to really With the little pump handle. it. Yeah, you have to pump yeah. it up and down. And, and if you're not careful, it will just spin off and take off someone's knee. Exactly. And lethal. And it's like really ridiculous because he's trying. It's trying to be a scene loaded with gravitas. And the lady he's talking to says, Does, "You know, I mean, doesn't the effort of pumping it alone just make it? I mean, you must know that you're awake when you're pumping it." And he's like, "No, no, 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 no. You don't understand. It's one of those stupid jokes." Um, anyway, uh, obviously, we we we've got um, Fishburne's plan is to project his new ideas not just onto one person, but actually every person through movie projections projectors to infiltrate their minds and manipulate them by thinking they are watching films in cinemas when really they're being brainwashed and so i just see three opportunities here with that news basically um the first is basically we could have in the movie itself some subliminal flashes popping up on the screen that aren't even really subliminal like do you know what i mean they're meant to be subliminal, they stay too long or like just stupid <laughs> and then um and then absolutely opportunity for Forte to kind of break the fourth walls, pill out, and still start saying, you're talking about interprojectionation, like that, anyway. <laughs> and then um, and as it's been described here, maybe it's Cruz delivering the news um, as Agent Dormir, telling him all about uh, Agent Z's nefarious plan. The music is like, the score is like, bam, bam, going full zimmer, as he said before. And uh, halfway through, uh, Agent Dormier's explanation, he goes, look, hang on a second, Agent Dormier, sticks his head out the window and just says, can you just keep it down, please, fellas? We're trying to explain something here. And there's these workers outside with like loads of drills and stuff just go, no worries <laughs> on that, and stop, and it all cuts and score and everything. Um, and of course, the end fight with Fishburn has to be a pillow fight. And that's all I've got, yeah. Sheppy. That's it. That's his <laughs> explanation. There's, there's room for lots of gags I haven't even gone for, but, you know, I, I figured Nolan's ripe for a little bit of a little tease. I think a little tease. Oh, he'll be fine. He likes French and Saunders. Uh, yeah, <laughs> absolutely wonderful. Loved it. Loved it. Yes, please. Um, I want to see it all. Have you seen MacGruber? Yeah, I've seen, I've not seen the new movie, the new one, but I've seen the show. I've seen, yeah, yeah, wonderful, wonderful movie. Yeah. Love so it. I saw the movie and now we're about two-thirds of the way through the show. I mention it because it's Wig and Fishburne and, of course, Fortic. So it's, oh, it's the whole triptych. <laughs> so, yeah, you'll, you'll love it. <laughs> I recommend. I yeah. did wonder, and by the way, was, on the, great. 
I was going to say just quickly on the casting of Forte, I actually thought at one point Ryan Gosling would be quite an interesting character to just do like a Nielsen on and throw him in to be really po-faced around mm. everybody else's silliness. I just, I, for a moment, I thought he could be interesting rather than Forte because maybe Forte is a bit aggressively mugging sometimes. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, and knows he's, a he's in a comedy. He's a massive mugger. Yeah. It's true. Yeah, that man knows how to mug. Well, fair play, Jimmy. I love it all. I love it all, Jimmy. So I'll just jump into mine, shall I? Please. Um, so this is it. Now, it is basically a spoof, but it could just be kind of like a comedic version, like I said. Like, this could be like a Three Amigos. In fact, it kind of is. It is, in fact, a bit of a massive Three Amigos. And it's also a bit of a Spies Like Us. Um, but the the genre or the subgenre is that kind of Ray Harryhausen, uh, Clash of the Titans, Jason and the Argonauts, Sinbad yeah. and the Eye of the Tiger. And just as a quick aside, in preparation for this, even though actually I had already written the vast majority, and honestly, having watched this film over the weekend, it actually didn't affect the final product at all. Didn't need to watch it. But watched um, The Golden Voyage of Sinbad, which I believe is 70. Three, I'm gonna say, and it's with Tom Baker as the baddie, and it's like 73 Tom Baker. That's like, was he Doctor Who yet? That's amazing. And Caroline Monroe, who's Naomi from Spy Who Loved Me, who sharp listened ears will know, is uh, very special to me. I like Naomi. She's all right. She's my friend. So she's in it, and it's some um, you know some real no neck chump we can really push around. Is playing Sinbad. Um, and yeah, you know, it's good. It's got good monsters. Um, Tom Baker is the nasty baddie, and he's like, ah, yes, indeed. Um, and it's, yeah, it's all right. It was consistent, and there were lots of different monsters. Um, ultimately, you know, it's, it is what it is. Uh, over Christmas, by chance, we watched Jason and the Argonauts all the way through, and it was really like only the second time in my life I watched it like properly all the way through. So that's exciting. I am always a Clash of the Titans man. I always will be, the 1981, which is a big influence on my, on my thing. Um, but generally it's that type, it's, the, it's that, whatever that you would call that subgenre. it's fantasy, it's, it's Ray Harryhausen, it's his own subgenre. It's this sort of monster adventure film. Nice. Using often Greek, and well, I've gone heavily into Clash of the Titans territory, so it's all like Greek, but you know, Hollywood interpretations of Greek myths with lots of Roman stuff thrown in there willy nilly and all that. So I'm just going, you know, I'm yeah. making it as if. And the direction I went was like it, it's directed by someone who would conceivably direct. And that's the other thing, it could be made now, but I said, I'm, I'm setting it's being made at the time as well. So it's like, I'll tell you that it's something like 1976. Um, yeah, it is. So it's 76, my, my one. I'll tell you what it's called in just a second. But it's directed by Leslie Norman. I should have checked because I always wondered if that's Barry Norman's dad. But he was a real mainstay. He directed some films. He directed the 1958 film Dunkirk. Um, so he could do epic. But he directed episodes of The Avengers and The Saint and Return of the Saint and The Persuaders. So I got him directing it because the director of like Sim Golden Voyage of Sinbad was this type of like kind of guy who directed this type of TV. 
So it's not a comedy director, which means what reality is this? Is this only funny to us? I don't know. So maybe that's a bad choice of director. Maybe it should be like, um, I don't know, someone who is like Ed Bai, for example, someone who did like Red Dwarf. Anyway, um, I've got it as Leslie Norman, and I haven't included any cast members. Um, oh, uh, spoiler, Zeus is in this, and in Clash of the Titans, he's played by Laurence Olivier. So I was thinking, you know, someone who could send themselves up, but is he, but not a comic. So not Sid James, for example, and have Sid James playing Zeus, which would be amazing, but, but have someone like a Gilgood, for example, you know, just, or, you know, a, um, someone, someone, someone with stature coming in and, and doing Zeus. But now, like I said, this film, the level of goofiness and zaniness varies. And if you want it to be officially a spoof, you can push the humor to really stylized and sometimes gross out you know, effect. And so I've put in some jokes, or at least one joke of that ilk, and also a bit of like, you know, bawdy shit as well. Um, but it could also go the other way and be kind of like true to the genre, but comedic, like Shaun of the Dead, for example. So it could go either way. So there are jokes to indicate both directions, both options. Um, the title, Jimmy, is Air, Heirs of Olympus. Um, so there you are. I, and because I figure even if it's like a crazy spoof and it goes to the extreme, Heirs of Olympus, a crazy spoof should have a, a serious title, a title that could conceivably be a serious version of this film. So, Heirs of Olympus. Um, so, it's a, a Ray Harryhausen type epic, Greek, Roman gods, and all that sort of thing coming together with farce, misunderstanding, and capers. Um, it's more of a comedy than an exact spoof, but you know, depending. Um, so, it's spies like us, three amigos. I've said all of this really. Um, so, I'll just jump straight in. The film starts um, with Zeus and there's this colossal mix-up. Now, there's a narrator, maybe the film actually starts with like, we find a narrator in a market, you know, like a bit like a bazaar. Let me tell you a story. I, in fact, see John Hurt doing this character, the narrator who we cut back to sometimes telling the story, but only because I'm watching the storyteller at the moment. So I see John Hurt as the storyteller. He's like, come closer friends and let me, or whatever that sort of shit. But we find out uh, that Zeus, you know, Zeus had always was like fucking up. This whole sequence, by the way, I go into a little bit of detail with, it's not like this all the way through, but um, this could be the pre-cred, like maybe get it down to six minutes, maybe, maybe 10 minutes at the most. Um, it's, we have like a sexual farce sort of mix up and mix up with misunderstandings and, 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 and all sorts of things. So we learn from the narrator, in ancient times when gods were as men and men were as beasts and all were as ants and ants were insulted by the whole comparison, there was a time of heroes, of evil untempered and passions unchecked, when life was only as precious as the strength of your steel and public sanitation was only as good as the size of your bucket. This was a time when Zeus reigned from Mount Olympus and people still thought wearing bedsheets was a pretty groovy idea. 
And indeed, Zeus did reign and cast his hopes and dreams on the lives of men, playing the game of life and death with pawns and kings. And if there was one thing that Zeus coveted beyond the greatest riches and the strongest power, it was, as the Greeks called it, hummus to his pitta. Zeus liked the sex. And like most things in life, what Zeus wanted, he took. And what he didn't take, he asked repeatedly for permission. And when he didn't get that permission, he would throw more lightning and he would throw more bolts and he would throw more than lightning bolts from his cloud, if you know what I mean. And, you know, in an extreme example of where, where this film could go, we see like a dark cloud rumble. There's a crack of thunder and we hear Zeus make a noise. And then like a huge ball of godly spunk flies out from behind the cloud <laughs> and creates a snow cap on a mountain range, landing with a plop. And then we cut to a hermit up in his cave in the mountain covered. And he's like, oh, for the love of, and it cuts. Now that, that's, it's a, yeah, so that's an option. That's an option for, you know, a tone, but, it, but not necessarily. It's got a Monty Python vibe immediately. And like, we right. didn't mention those boys at all at the top end, but That's true. I'm not looking That's... to crowbar him in now. But no, no, say, no, no. It's got that vibe. Right. Nice. I've also, I found the narrator had a little bit like of um, a Douglas Adams Hitchhikers mm. type thing. Because um, I think I'm just ripping off the digital watch as a good idea type thing. So in any case, um, Zeus wants sexy time. And we discovered that he's a, he's a horny he's a horny bugger with Zeus, which of course is legend. And the king of Argos is introduced, and whenever we see uh, his kingdom, there are always these little mini blue pens on display everywhere. That's just a joke for people who kept Amazing. their eyes open in the fifties. Thank you. This king has a daughter who he keeps locked up, so no man can get to her. Uh, Zeus likes a challenge and he infiltrates uh, infiltrates the locked room by turning himself into a ray of sunshine where he proceeds to, and I quote Wikipedia here, give her a golden shower. Uh, the lady does not like it. Always ask first. A helpful aid later pipes up. However, the lady, nine months later, gives birth to Perseus. He's handsome, brave, athletic, but he always stinks of piss. Zeus is told by his wife to stop fooling around. Too many airs are confusing, especially when they don't match, Zeus quips. And too much nookie is unhygienic, counters the wife. Zeus doesn't care about that. Zeus, oh, by the way, that whole golden shower thing creating Perseus, that's true. That is from Wikipedia. So it's true. Amazing. It actually happened. Um, Great interpretation of it, Sheffy. I love it. Thanks. <laughs> uh, Zeus sneaks into another lady's chamber. This time he disguises himself as mist. But things go wrong when he is inhaled by the lady, then sneezed out onto the mirror in a splat. She then opens the window to get rid of all this mist which is clogging up the place and he's blown out and instantly gets absorbed by a cloud and then rained into a puddle. He reforms and is found muddy and skanky in a ditch by his wife. He is mocked. Zeus tries again, this time sneaking in as a swan. He's raped by a goose. The narrator says, <laughs> the mighty Zeus... <laughs> The narrator says, for mighty Zeus, many of these encounters, when successful, led to many accidental and forgotten children. Many, when unsuccessful, led to charges of continued bestiality. And the narrator continues, a swell of years for us mortals can be but a moment for the gods. 
and an infinity of ecstasy for a god can seem just like a few minutes for a mortal, but that's just a trick of the light, says Zeus. <laughs> so after <laughs> so after this opening farce, um, we have this, uh, and that might all be a pre-cred if we, if we go crazy with the editing. Um, so after this opening farce, we have a situation where we find out that the shiny sword, the shiny sword of uh, Democles, is, is found to be poised to drop, um, which will spell doom and the end of humanity. Um, this is too early, says Zeus. There are still various kinds of human and animal I have yet to flavor, and they haven't even invented the barnyard yet. So Zeus sends his fastest, speediest, zippiest messengers to deliver the quest to his three chosen sons, who he has sired out of wedlock, I might add. Uh, the first is uh, the aforementioned Perseus, uh, who, by the way, was the hero from Clash of the Titans. And then the second chosen son, Hercules, who we all know. And then the third, Apollo, who I will not have played by Carl Weathers, even though I fucking... 1976, it works. But anyway, uh, Perseus is a stinky P-boy. Hercules is top-heavy, big muscles, small brain. And Apollo is mighty, but also a lover of the arts and thus given to pretentious poetry recitals at the top of a hat, which is true. Uh, that's from Wiki as well. Apollo liked his arts and his poetry. Um, however, it was uh, it was these three sons uh, of whom Zeus, you know, Zeus sent these messengers, these three speedy running types with the funny things on their heels, to the, to his three sons. But the speediest messengers in Olympus, the narrator says, are not always the smartest. Zeus should have sent the second speediest. At least they had brains. So there's this mix-up where, the, where due in part to Zeus's unquenchable thirst for poon, in part due to the messenger's lack of intelligence, and in part due to everyone in ancient Greece having very similar surnames, the messages were delivered to the wrong children. The forgotten, the shamed, the excommunicated, banished, or simply never heard of. And it was these three cast-offs who were told that it was they, and they alone, who had been chosen to seek out at the end of the world and stop the mighty sword from falling and to return the sword of Democles to Olympus so that Zeus would finally have power over not just the living and the earth, but also the dead, the underworld, and the darkness beyond the end. We are introduced to our three then new characters. Um, the, the wrong chosen, and this is our kind of three amigos, spies like us type. Um, and so they're all scattered out throughout the land. The amazing um, plot, Sheppy. It's, it's, <laughs> it's too good for this, this pitch. It's too good for this challenge. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, now, the three I've kind of taken from existing films. Uh, and so we're told the three who we meet are, you know, Zeus had it away with their mum and they gave birth to this. So apparently at one point Zeus made love to a skeleton because one of his sons is one of the skeletons from the skeleton army from Jason and the Argonauts. <laughs> so it's him and he's part of the troop and he's all, they're all basically of a bored, you know, hive mind. But um, he gets approached by a messenger and they have a funny scene. You know, we have a, like a minute or two of setup where his life and his 
place in life is established as part of this army and then you know he's given the grunt work not that happy gets you know this messenger says Zeus is your dad you've got to get the sword to Democles you're the only one who can get it get across the land and go and get that sword for your dad Zeus and he's like bloody hell uh the second son who's chosen by accident um who is the son of a goddess forsaken for, by Zeus for having a big mouth and for being like he was kind of like this cool duke or prince he was a massive wanker um, and so Zeus punished him and turned him into like the sort of goat Satan monster thing and that's only fucking Calabos in it so I've got Calabos now this is a character who I believe was actually invented for the 1981 film Clash of the Titans um, the version of Calabos I have in this film is not that exact Calabos it's his basic backstory big mouth prince punished by Zeus turned into goat face um, he was in love and he was engaged to Andromeda, who's fit as fuck, but then he gets turned into a goat and she's like, no, thanks, not for me. And he's gutted about that. So this is where we find Calabas. He's this forgotten prince. He's begotten. He's, he's, you know, and his very, very pretty ex-fiance is now like, forget it, Lewis, I'm going home. Um, that was kind of a cross between Ghostbusters and Trading Places. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, so she is basically the exact same character from Clash of the Titans. I'm just upping her vacuousness just a tiny bit, just shedding a bit more light on it. And the fact that she has zero intelligence or charisma, that she's like, I don't like you anymore. You are an ugly man. I will go and be with Perseus. So she does that. And so he's gutted. And that's where we find him living in a swamp with his cronies being just like miserable. And then this messenger saying, Zeus wants you to do this. And he's like, fuck it out. And he's, you know, he's cool. He's kind of the big mouth. He's kind of the Wolverine of the group, I suppose. He's fucking nails. He's a bit stupid. He's still got his massive big mouth. Um, and he's, he's got horns and shit. And he's ruthless as fuck. Um, you know, he will just kill a fucker. So, so you've got your, your Calabos. Who, who is also kind of a Han Solo. Um, and then we have um, Parthenope. Uh, Parthenope is, um, isn't technically in mythology uh, a, a child of Zeus because he only had sons apparently, but this is it. I needed a chick, I wanted a chick. So she's a siren. She's got a whole lot of history that I'll get into, um, but she's cool. It turns out in this mythology that she is the daughter of Zeus, but no daughters, no daughters. So she's even more, even as Calabos and Boney, the skeleton man, even though they are shunned as fuck because she's a daughter, it's like, fuck you, because she's gutted, but she's a siren and she's cool. Um, now, in terms of very broad characters, Boney, well, I'm just going to keep calling Boney, is a wit and is excellent with a sword, naturally. Uh, Calabos is a thug and braggart who is meaty muscle and likes to play hard and dirty, but he is an ex-general and a strong strategist, which is true. And, he's, you know. and uh, Parthenope is the biggest twist that Zeus never has daughters. She, uh, oh, and this is from mythology, and we're working this into the plot. She apparently, as backstory, threw herself from a cliff into the sea when Ulysses wasn't enticed by her songs. And there's a line, where um, she, she says, like, yeah, so I don't take rejection well. So what? Calibos still hasn't gotten over Andromeda. And Calibos is like, 
She left me because she said I was ugly. You're fit. Ulysses didn't like you because you're boring. And she's like, Get up, shut up, goat face. Anyway, that's later in the film. They haven't met yet when we were first introduced. Um, there is, a, by the way, another story that there's a centaur named uh, Vesuvius, and he was enamored with, with this chick. Um, so angered, Jupiter, the god of sky and thunder, turned this centaur into a stratovolcano, which erupts, it erupts apparently, Vesuvius, due to sexual frustration. Um, and uh, Penelope, um, oh, they turned her into the city of Naples, which is random. So we find out in the film that part of her backstory is at one point she was turned into the city of Naples and a party, I'm just going to call her because it's difficult to pronounce. Um, she's like, everyone's kind of mocking her, ripping her, being like, how does someone become a city? And she's like, I've reached my limits. And Calabos says, is there a toll? And she's like, I'm past my limits. And Boney says, so you'll have to, you'll have an out of body experience then, won't you? And they're like, ah, and she's like, shut up. Um, Calabos also says a line at one point when they're riding through the you know, dirty valley somewhere in a chasm. Like, I've heard of girls who host a man or two, but never one who hosts thousands of men every night. And Boney says, now I know why some men have to change their postcodes after a breakup. And she's like, shut up. Um, Something else about her, um, at the fountain of Spina Corona, she is as quenching the fires of Vesuvius with water from her breasts. So I'm definitely having this play a part in the action. At some point, she obviously has to save the day by doing this. Um, and then to her fellows, she says, not a goddamn word. And Boney says, if I had lips, they'd be sealed. Uh, Calabas is still deeply hung up about it, <laughs> um, but she's a vacuous idiot who's insanely stupid, but he still is like, oh, I love her. Boney just wants to prove himself to be an individual and not lumped in with his army brothers. Um, so, so the setup is established. They're all set individually out, and, uh, but soon they meet each other along the way. And at first, of course, they're at odds with each other. They have little skirmishes and quips but then they discover they've all been given the same quest. Um, so they team up with much bickering, like we've heard. Um, we learn that, you know, they learn that they're sort of semi-related. They all have the same dad um, and then they have the odd adventure. They bond it, um, on their way. The three messengers realize that, you know, they fucked up and gave it to the wrong children. So they try and sabotage them on the journey. They're throwing like extra dangers their way. And we have various monsters popping up and weird swamp monsters and flying monsters and very Harryhausen shit. Uh, statues coming to life, trees growing faces and shit. And it's pretty violent actually, a lot of people die. Um, so, so that's all right. Um, but they, they of course prevail. Um, we also, yeah, so we have cameos from all the old classics as well, and some new faces, but we definitely have the Kraken, and Medusa pops up at some point, and I want some giant scorpions, please. Um, also joining them on their quest, I want, you know, that two-headed dog? Um, I want him, but this is, be, uh, but it's been corrupted, um, and so now, you know, Boney says, like, either by bad magic or some serious inbreeding, because instead of a two-headed dog, 
it's like a dog with like just like one big body and then a tail and an ass on both sides wagging at each other they're just running around blindly both sides are back and front it's weird stuff um so i thought that's nice if that's been done in something and I, it's something that's probably like in the simpsons halloween special or something if that yeah, has been done think. if i'm all if it, I'm also open to, it's like a dog head and a cat head, so they're always fighting, and a rabbit head who doesn't know what's going on. So that's my alternative. Um, so anyway, they're, they're joined by this thing, and so they, they go off and they have various you know, adventures and crazy, crazy shit happens. Um, at the end point of act two, they meet the real heroes, Hercules, Perseus, and Apollo, who are all dicks, and the, the heroes realize they've been duped but they're spies like us. And in three exciting, oh yeah, these three quote unquote heroes are like, I'm gonna fuck you up because we're here to get the sword and you're a mistake. And so we're gonna stop you and they get the sword. And so in three exciting, funny and inventive fights, the three battle their three opposites and they kill or dispose of the fakers um, in some manner in different interesting ways. And uh, so those three cunts are kicked off and the three proper heroes take the sword of Democles and return to Olympus. Um, but then the beginning of act three, from the real heroes, you see, they've learned that Zeus, well, from the real heroes, from the fake heroes, our heroes learned that Zeus was gonna have them disposed of anyway, because they were a big mistake. Um, he was always ashamed of them. So the final part of the film is the three head to Mount Olympus, sneak, into heaven and de-crown Zeus, who is then after like other adventures and other fights and things. And then they banish Zeus, uh, powerless to earth, to live as a giant pig. Uh, and in a sort of a trading place, sort of ending, um, he is well, in fact a, a giant female pig. So to live as a sow. And so he, she meets a massive boar and the, the narrator says, and the rest, Wow, that's another story. And that story is called Making Bacon, the swine who came into the god. And the three hero gods, uh, the skeleton, the siren, and the goat, they sit on, uh, take their place on their thrones in Olympus and rule mankind forever. And that's, that's the <laughs> And I've got, got a, a couple of taglines. One is is just uh, mythology never looked so dumb. And uh, the other one is uh, great heroes, mighty hearts, empty heads. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> I like it, Sheppy. That is just like in a million years, I never could have guessed that's where you would go. That's really fun. I really <laughs> like it, man. So, it's yeah. very ripe, isn't it? Like you've really smashed it. Like Zeus. I have to, I, my knowledge of Greek mythology is all over the place, but what a wrong and... He did do, he did do a lot of weird stuff, yeah. You know, yeah. He turned it up to sunlight to get in through the window, knocked up his daughter, and the dad locked her away anyway. So no one's very nice to anyone. You could do this film kind of like Guardians of the Galaxy and have that sort of level of humour, but keeping it real, but in a sort of a fantasy setting or sci-fi setting. So you could go in that direction as well. I will say, and this makes me sound horrible, but my main problem with Jason and the Argonauts, and, and I know it's a classic, but just hear me out, and the Sinbad film that I saw, is that there's just not enough death. 
you've got all these massive soldiers and things and the occasional like lackey or friend of the hero gets killed but you know I, I would like a lot more of just random people getting stabbed or stepped on or thrown off things it doesn't happen enough <laughs> for my really bloodthirsty tendencies so so i will rectify that in this film clash of the titans is my favorite and there is nostalgia for that but also it is i think faster paced um, mm. than the others so as a kid i'm not surprised that that's why i liked it still not very fast paced at all but it is comparative speed rocket so that's nice. i need to give them a rewatch Sheppy, but that was wonderful and very interesting man it's got me sort of wanting to get off and google mythology rewatch titans argonauts yeah man i'm all over that i'd be fine nice. and you resisted like i'm such an idiot like my immediate thing would be to do an austin powers style you've got a ray harryhausen creature coming towards you in slow motion but you don't move you know right. you could totally get out of the situation you can do it if that's yeah. the type if, if that's the the angle you're going for because this could be that and you i don't think that's the tone you've gone for sheppy you've gone with a very clever little i, I said pythonesque i don't know whether it is quite that's quite right like you said but I, there's something there that is just slightly different edge you've gone with and like sort of you know i the one of the reasons i said pythonesque was i guess your john hurt impression kind of it was like it said a little bit like um terry jones <laughs> sorry <laughs> but also John Hurt. i can live then, with that but there's also like that kind of boink 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 like brian falls into a spaceship zooms off comes back like i, I see it yeah. in that kind of pace what you just described like do you know what i mean <laughs> you know yes that kind of uh you know yeah i like it um Zippy, yeah, nice yeah a tight 90 minutes that's yeah I love it. Well, that, that was a joy, Jibo, an absolute treat. Again, to everyone, if uh, there's a spoof that we've missed out, um, then let us know. Uh, very, very interesting stuff. I'd like to think, Sheppy, in the future, this could be one we come back to. So if you think of another movie you want to spoof, you can just play the spoof card in a future bubble whenever you nice. want to. But uh, yeah, nice. Good man, how well, do we but, sign this off, Sheps? What's well, that's the... it, because it's, it's, it's a bubble, so we, we're not leading anywhere. It's a dead end. <laughs> how about um, something relating to, I don't know, I mean, a spoof of ourselves wouldn't get us anywhere, because you can't spoof this level of idiocy. <laughs> no, so I'd it's... like to be, what I'd love is if we were together, I could pour you a cup of coffee. And then, like the outro, could play over the top as uh, like as the boiling water just curdles your. Uh, <laughs> perfect. Well, that's it. Um, we'll just sit here in silence, giggling into our little nails, tittering behind our clenched fists, gawping at ourselves in silent mirth as the listeners get nothing but maybe the occasional microphone knock and that's it for like 15 <laughs> 25 seconds and then it just ends and then that's the credits yeah that would be perfect and then da -da -da -da, da -da 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 -da, in color with with the first podcast in color so there you go that's not bad that's nice and then maybe at the very end of the credits the taxi driver from airplane will turn up and just be like i'm gonna give him five more minutes <laughs> whatever it is <laughs> classic We'd love to hear from you. Please reach out to us at shoulderspod.com or shoulderspod at Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. 